first of all, we are thankful and very, very happy that Miss Hazel is with us this morning. We certainly have missed, missed her and missed the family being in close. I don't see Miss Becky. I wish she was here. Now, I've got a real announcement to make. Ferdy and Melissa had their little girl. Now, Ferdy and Melissa, Ferdy is Melinda's brother, and Melinda's down there with them, waiting on them today. But it's a baby girl, born on Friday, May 27th, and her name is Carrie Elise. She was eight pounds and seven ounces. You're at Meadowcrest Hospital, room 225 in Gretna, Louisiana. And uh, our congregation is growing, and we wish uh, Ferdy and Melissa the Lord's blessings and starting that new family. Uh, they're going to find out they're going to need the Lord's blessings starting out in a new family. And next, we want to welcome John and Gloria into the neighborhood. We moved them in yesterday. They're, going to, they're living in the trailer behind us, and it's so wonderful to have family back again. And John is just delighted to be able to be close to the Lord's house, be able to come to services. Uh, he said, tapes are great, tapes are fine, but there's nothing like being here. And... Uh, very, very glad to have them with us. Now, we had another birth. Can you believe that? No sooner did we get John and Gloria moved in and Fluffy has her kittens. Fluffy's John and Gloria's cat. And, uh, you know, there's enough going on with moving and people being burned out and uh, trying to catch your breath in that hot truck and then the cat has kittens on top of it. That's Welcome in Fluffy. She didn't want to have him in New Orleans. She wanted to have Homer cats. Now, next Wednesday night, we'll have services, as usual. I may, may deviate from the study a little bit, uh, seeing Miss Hazel is in. We just might have a song service. We'll have, uh, we'll, we'll sing, we'll play several, two or three of Brother Hale's songs, and uh, we'll sing other songs, I'm sure, between... Tana and Melinda will have a piano player here, and uh, we'll read some Gatsby's, and we'll just kind of have a, a light, uh, worshiping praise. Of course, whenever you read a Gatsby, just as serious as having a Bible study, and we'll read several of them. So come Wednesday night, and just be prepared to have a, a, a wonderful light time in the Lord. No heavy study for Wednesday night. I, I'm going to relax this week. And uh, now let's see, what else do we have? That ought to do it. I talked to Miss uh, Weta last night, and we uh, arranged or made it concrete that we'll have services up at Miss Fanny's house up in Kentwood on June the 10th. That's the second week of June. It's a Friday night. We're going to pick up Miss... Uh, we're going early to have dinner with Miss Weta, and we'll... Uh, We'll take Miss Weeda with us up to Miss Fanny's, and we'll have a service up there. Miss Fanny's and Brother Red's—I shouldn't just say Miss Fanny's, Brother Red's dairy farm—and we'll have the service up there. And we're just looking forward to that. 
So if you hear on the tape, you know, get get the people notified in that way, and we'll have a great service up there Friday night. I think that's all for the announcements now. I believe we will take the offering. Get our yellow songbooks and turn to number 32. No, 33. Number 33. When your days are young and gay. something. I got this in a, in a paper called Truth for Today from my friend uh, Wiley Fulton from North Carolina. And he's got a little article here about Brother Hale. I want to read it to you. I thought it was wonderful. This is, Brother, this is about Brother Edward R. Hale. February 11th, 1917, April 24, 1988. 
The Lord hath called home a sweet singer of the songs of redemption, Brother Edward Hale of Homa, Louisiana, pastor of Truth Baptist Church, and one who constantly described himself as a sinner saved. This brother was known for his songs which extolled the grace of God, the person and work of the Blessed Redeemer and a sinner's personal experimental interest therein. When called by God's grace some years ago, he was not a trained musician, and all he knew were the old country and cowboy tunes, but the Holy Spirit began to lead him to want to sing the grace of God. He would make up songs as he went along with his work, for his heart was so filled with the love of God. In his simple, humble way, Brother Edward never got away from how the Lord saves a sinner and how he saved me. It was a personal, never-to-be-forgotten experience of being shut up under law and condemnation and then being delivered by a personal and precious Lord Jesus Christ. As one reflects on his song, such subject stands out as a ransom was found. I'm just a beggar. What he has done for me, I'll never be alone, and I've found his grace sufficient but perhaps best giving his own experience is that precious course in number 22 in his book, When I Was Lost in Sin and Shame. How thou let me take the blame. Blessed Lord, how merciful thou was to me. When I could look down deep within and see the sinfulness of sin. Blessed Lord, how merciful thou was to me. Oh, how merciful, how merciful. Blessed Lord, how merciful thou art to me. Oh, how merciful, how merciful. Blessed Lord, how merciful thou art to me. A weakened heart condition had plagued him for years, and the Lord finally said, Child, come home, and allowed him to depart and to be with Christ on the Lord's Day, April 24, 1988 a service to commemorate the grace of God in the life of his servant was led by Pastor Peter Nortier and Brother Richard Heigel. Blessed indeed is the memory of those who have taught us in the ways of grace, whose faith follow. Wasn't that a wonderful article? You don't even know Wiley Fulton. He was here one time. I can't remember what he looked like. I did meet him, but I, I don't. But we're in correspondence, and I've been writing him for some time. And for him to put it in his paper, I thought that was just really fine. Well, now let's get on with today's message. We're going into the Old Testament again, and it's just exactly like all the other ones, what the Lord said there and what the Lord's saying today and what he said in the New Testament is identical. People are the same. God is the same. Hearts are the same. Let's turn to Isaiah 66, the last chapter in the book of Isaiah. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 66. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. And where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, 
even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man, and he that sacrifices a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck, and he that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood, and he that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions, and will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. And when I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, and said, Let the Lord be glorified. But he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Let's bow our heads. Father, again, as we enter into thy word, we stand in awe. We stand with joy and hope. We stand in reverence of thy word. For we find that people haven't changed and thou hasn't changed. And we need a blessing this morning. We need to know what saith the Lord. We need to know how God saves a sinner. We want to know who God is delighted with. We want to know about our God the Creator. And all these things are in our reading this morning. Oh, Father, we ask this morning that Thou will bless this message to the hearts of this waiting people, that Thou will bless it first to the heart of Thy speaker. We ask that Thou will forgive us our sin of this day, that Thou will continue to work in the hearts of sinners, awakening, quickening, delivering. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. One of the things about the Scriptures is no matter how sensitive or how tender the Lord can be to his people in the promises, just laying out things so beautiful, so pretty, just just showing them things that are just unheard of, the greatest of blessings, and they don't listen. They don't care. You see, the chapter before this, starting with verse 17 over here in Isaiah 65, He's speaking about new things, about what's going to be. Not old Israel and Jerusalem as they were there beat up and uh, under somebody else's rule and domination. He's telling them what's going to be. My people will just turn to me. Look at For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. It's the same promises we have today. We're telling you we're going to have new bodies. We're going to have a new place to live. Everything is going to be new. You won't remember the sins. You won't be a sinner anymore. And this is what the Lord's telling them back there. And the former shall not be remembered nor even come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice and ever that 
which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. What do we find over there in Revelation 22? All tears are going to be wiped away. No more crying. No more weeping. Same message that I'm giving, that the Lord has given here to his people in the Old Testament. Same message that Christ gives to his church. No more crying. No more weeping. No more sin. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Who hears the message? Not very many. I have got a handful here this morning. How many people are there? Well, there's thousands and thousands out around us today who don't even care, don't even care to hear the message of joy and deliverance and happiness that should be, but isn't here now because of sin. Verse 20, what's going to happen in the millennium? There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years. Oh, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Connie and me were talking about that this morning. A lot of people do not understand, do not realize that God's people, this church, that he calls his bride or members of his body, are, are going to be different than the rest of the people on earth. You're going to have resurrected bodies. They're going to be capable of being invisible or visible, however the situation calls for. But there's going to be normal people on earth. The earth is going to be populated and they're going to live. And he's saying, no, but living conditions are going to be changed a little bit. That a kid be a hundred years old. But the sinner being a hundred years old would be a curse. Now, see, I don't understand some of that. There's still going to be sinners here upon earth? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. I know it says that they have to come to the new Jerusalem to bring homage into worship so many times a year. That's over there in Revelation. Some of these things, I just hasn't got through to this old boy yet. But they're going to be. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit. And they shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall enjoy, long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I'll answer. And while they're yet speaking, I'll hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. When's that? It's in the millennium. And that'll be out in the eternity too, but especially in the millennium. People say, I don't believe in the millennium. I don't care what people believe. They can believe anything they want. Whether they believe it or not, it's going to be. See, this is God's word. God doesn't fool with people. Talked with a fellow yesterday. A stranger. But we had some conversation going on. I said, well, sometime when you feel like you'd like to come to church, come on down and hear me preach. Says, oh, I've got my own philosophy about that. She said, you know, the walls of the church would fall down if I walked in there, but I have my philosophy of how, 
how to deal kindly with people. I've got, I said to myself, here we go, here we go again. I might have spoken something I shouldn't have said. So I had to go and listen to his philosophy. And I said, goodbye. Well, the invitation still stands. Anytime you want to come to church, come on down to Truth Baptist. But there's people whose minds are totally closed to anything spiritual. It's been then, and it is now. People don't change. God hasn't changed. Salvation hasn't changed. Eternity hasn't changed. The only thing is, is that we're in a different dispensation now. Time is getting to the point where we're almost to the end of this dispensation. So we come to the first verse of chapter 66. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What's that mean? It means he's a creator. Who else could say that? Evolutionist? Huh, that's why they don't want this book. They hate it. Time and time again, the Lord says, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. More than that, in Isaiah 40, 17, just back a couple pages, he says, All the nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. Wow. What about him making things? Isaiah 40:12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in the measure? Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. You know, this earth is finely made. The Lord measured it out and weighed it out. Mountains where mountains should be. Water where water should be. Land where land should be. That's what it says. He weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. He comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. People don't give that too much consideration, do they? So he asked the question. Now, there's where I live. I made it. Now, where's the where is the house that you built to me? You didn't build me anything, did you? You built a little temple over there in Jerusalem. And where's the place of my rest? Turn to Isaiah 57.15. We're going to stay over close to Isaiah now. 57.15. I'm going to show you where the place of his rest is. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Now, I just said something that you can't understand. It hasn't even begun to soak into your heart or your mind when I said, Who inhabiteth eternity? I can't. I just read it. I know I should stop there and think about it. He inhabiteth eternity. That's his dwelling place. Before the earth was formed, and after the earth is going to be destroyed by fire and reformed and out into eternity, the Lord inhabits that. And of course, his name is holy. Wouldn't it be strange, like so many people would wish that his name was unholy, so that the desires of the heart and, and the lust of their mind could be just enjoyable and fulfilling but see God isn't like that God is holy 
he writes the rules and he puts it down in the book and he lets us have the book. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is proud and kingly and beautiful and well clothed. Is that what it says? Not at all, huh? It says, I dwell with him that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What a God. You and me with the least little bit of power is, gets proud and boastful and, and overwhelming and dictatorial and all this. Look at God who in, dwells in the high and holy place, loves people with a humble heart and a contrite spirit. Our God is something. Certainly nothing like the human being that he formed. Oh, to be godlike, to care for those who have a quiet and a meek spirit and a humble heart. God's favorites. So he says in verse 2, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been. But to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. And we add something here, and trembleth at my word. Now you see, man by nature isn't poor. And man by nature doesn't have a contrite spirit. This is God the Holy Spirit's work. We're not talking about poor in pocket. We're talking about poor in spirit. One that knows he's bankrupt spiritually and needs to have Christ. And you're going to tremble at the word because the rules are there and you're going to find that you broke them. You can't do anything that God wants you to do. Not by nature. And then when you have a renewed heart and you're a new creature, you still strive and you still struggle because the old man and your body in the, within you, your body yourself is your worst enemy. Your heart's your worst enemy, deceitful above all things. It stays with you. Oh, when I was a Methodist, they teach that when God saves you, you don't sin anymore. Oh, how nice to walk down the street or down the aisle of the church and know that you don't sin. You're not a sinner anymore. What a farce. What a fallacy. What do they do when they have an evil thought? Well, Methodists say you can fall from grace. You've got to get saved again tomorrow. You see, I was one of them. I'm not just talking from reading something out of a book. I've got Catholic ancestors. Was a Methodist. Was a Reformed. Now a Baptist and can't brag on being a Baptist. There's nothing to brag about being a Baptist. As far as the denomination goes, it's just as low as anybody else. All free willers now. They don't have anything to talk about. Oh, but I love those ancient ones. Oh, I love those readings. John Bunyan, Flavel.
tremble at his word. The awakened sinner trembles at God's word. People today tremble at God's word. There aren't many. When God was addressing this people over here by Isaiah, there weren't many. Isaiah had said in Isaiah 53.1, Who's heard our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who, who's, who ever got their heart touched, Lord? Does anybody hear what we're saying? But there's always some. Oh, there's some that people have no idea about. Now this third verse, I, I don't quite get the, the thing about this sacrifice except that uh, all of that will be finished within the millennium. There won't be anything like that. But there's something about people wanting to have a religion and strictly go by the religion without the spiritual aspect to it. Sacri sacrifices were to point to Christ. Regardless of what it was, God had to rule or if it was that time for an ox to be sacrificed at a certain feast or if it was a lamb or if it was a goat or whatever. But here the Lord said that they choose their own ways. They delight in their own abominations. Now Proverbs 14.12 might give us a little light on that. Proverbs 14.12 be able to read it to you so I get it straight. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And also in, I, in Proverbs 12:15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And you know that when you're talking to one of these fools that there's nothing you can say, either reasoning logically or bringing the scriptures to bear can change their mind. You can't change a person's mind about anything. And when it comes to spiritual things, only God the Holy Spirit can touch a person's heart and change them. I mean, we could preach here, and I think about a preacher who did that. A preacher who preached for 120 years and got no converts. Not one. Interesting, huh? Noah preached for 120 years. Was he a failure? No, not at all. That's the way God wanted it to be. That was God's will for that dispensation to end right there. Nobody got saved. Eight members were on that ark only because they were part of his family. A hundred and twenty years of preaching. I was thinking about that myself. I'm going to start to become a preacher at 60 years old. I hope to have some hearts awakened and some people come to the Lord because I know his coming is short. But if nobody gets saved, have I preached in vain? No. I've cheered the hearts of the saints every time we open this book and talk about God and about the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of God, His great love and saving sinners. It cheers your heart. It cheers mine. And if any sinner that don't know Christ has their heart touched and they clean up their lives and they go to seeking Christ, that's a blessing. But evidently that didn't happen back there in Noah's time. 
the whole world perished but Noah's family. Now, 1 Timothy 4.1 and 2 Timothy 4.1, both of those fourth chapters of the two Timothys speak about in the latter times. Now, in 1 Timothy, it says, The Spirit speaketh expressly. You know what that means? That Paul had this laid on his heart, and it was a message by God the Holy Spirit to Paul to tell. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, 2 Timothy 4 is the same way. 2 Timothy 3, I mean. 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in last days perilous times shall come. Now, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. Paul, we have no more letters of Paul after 2 Timothy. This is it. That in latter days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. You know, there's a lot of families that there's no affection in their families whatsoever. Husbands and wives walk like strangers oh they thought they had so much affection when they were courting and out in the world but they were taken up with just the love of the world and the love of sex and the things that go along with that and then they have families they don't care about their kids the kids just ramble in and out they never get a hug they never get a kiss they never get sat down on laps and rocked and talked to and sung to and Mama sings songs to them and Daddy reads stories to them without natural affection. There's an awful lot of that. There's an awful lot of kids out there that are hungry for love and affection. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You know what that means? That everybody that's been mentioned here is a religious person. These are religious characteristics in the latter times. Does he have the love of money in there? Well, if it's not in there, it should be. Boy, does that ever characterize this latter times. Preach for money. Well, the Lord says there in the end of verse 3 in Isaiah 66, They have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. And that's a sad commentary on human race. But what happens, though, when this takes place? When the Lord lets them go, when he lets them choose their own way, 
He says, I also will choose their delusions. See, people don't choose their delusions. They're, it's given to them. Oh, a religious fanatic. I'm the best Catholic you ever did see. You know why? God made you like that. God just let you alone. You chose your abomination and God's going to choose your delusion. And will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. When do they call? When's God calling? He's calling right now. This is the age of grace and the time of grace. You hear a message, you know it's the truth, you've got it written down, you don't have to take notes or anything. If you're hearing the word, put your, put your red ribbon right here at chapter 66 and read it when you go home. It's here. God's giving you a warning. God's giving you promise. But when I spake, they did not hear. And they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Now, how is God speaking? Through a poor old pastor, that's how. When I'm reading you God's word, it's God speaking to you. You know, when we pray, it's man speaking to God. It's really not that important. The important thing is when I read God's word to you, that's God speaking to you. It has nothing to do with, this, with the voice or the person. It's the words. And when God speaks to you, you should take heed. That's why I like to read to you so many scriptures. So that's not what I'm saying, it's what God's saying to you people. Verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Ye that tremble at his word. Oh, how wonderful. Those that tremble at God's word are the only ones that hear it. Even saved people tremble at God's word. They love to hear it for their own heart's sake. They don't like to hear it for those whom they love that don't know the Lord. There's a continual burden on our heart a heaviness and a sadness for those of our own family who care not to hear God's word. And we know that God has that work to do. We can't blame ourselves. And yet, on the other hand, we are to blame in many, many respects. Do we encourage him enough? Do we pray for him enough? Do we work for him enough? Do we give them care and attention and love enough? Do they see Christ in us enough to want him? That's our big worry. Are we a stumbling block? Now this next part. Your brethren that hated you. See, brethren that hated you that cast you out for my name's sake. Oh, they were great religious people. Oh, very religious. They said, let the Lord be glorified. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. All those types of phrases that religious people use, especially the charismatics, and they'd knife you in the back whenever you cross them. Religious hatred is the worst hatred in the world. 
And when you cross somebody in their religion, look out. You have made an enemy. That's why you don't want to be a preacher, because that's your job. Your job is to cross everybody who's not straight. It make no difference who they are. Charismatic, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalians. You're to bring them God's message and let the Lord take care of their heart regardless of how they treat you. Remember in our lessons over there in First Peter? Say, hey, you're going to be evilly spoken of. Let's read that, and I think we'll close for there. Let's go over in First Peter. I loved that lesson when we had it. In fact, we stayed on it for several days. It's First Peter 4, verses 3 and 4, and then we'll close. Now, there's been a change in life when Christ comes into your life. Even before you're saved, when you're under conviction and you want to know Christ, there's a great change made. You have to be bold with the world. Now, look what it says in verse 3. For the time past of your life, our life, may suffice us to, to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. In other words, up to this point in your life, you've had a great time out there with the Gentiles. You've partied, you've lied, you've cheated, you steal. You've done everything you could possibly do to please the Gentile world. He says that when, when you walked in lasciviousness, in lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, he spells them out for you. You did all these things. The world had its time with you, but now there's a change. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you because you want to change, because you're pulling out. You're pulling out from the bar rooms. You're pulling out from the dance halls. You're pulling out from everything that was part of this world and great pleasure and a lot of fun. You've pulled out, and they're going to speak evil of you. And what does he say in verse 5? Old Peter here, the supposedly first pope. He says, and who's going to give an account to God? You are. See, verse 5. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? You're the person got to give the account, not them. They're going to think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. Come on, be strong. Pull out. If you have to walk alone, walk alone. But you're not walking alone. You're walking with Christ and don't know it. If you're walking according to God's word, if you're walking according to the dictates of his spirit, you're walking in the greatest company on earth. I'm not saying walk with me, walk with anybody. Walk with Christ. Walk according to the dictates of his word. You can't go wrong. Remember the scripture earlier read? Come ye out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Come out from among them. That's all we have to say this morning. Showing you again. The Old Testament is no different than the New as far as God speaking to the people. The message is the same. God's the same. People are the same. The only difference is is that we're close to the end of another dispensation. And it's getting very, very serious. 
You see, the time did come for Jerusalem when it was totally destroyed, that there was not one stone that was left unturned in the whole city. They were warned about it, warned and warned for hundreds of years, and it finally happened. You know, I bet a week before it happened, they were saying, huh, we've been hearing this for so many years, God's going to get us out of this one again. Don't worry about it. Let's go on in our old ways. But it happened. The same with Noah preaching for 120 years. And 119 and a half years went by, and the people said, huh, we've been hearing that since we were kids. Oh, my grandpa told me about that. He heard the same thing from old Noah. It's going to rain. Oh, yeah. Oh, nothing to it. The same thing is going to happen in the end of this dispensation. Christ is going to come for his church. They're going to go up with him. And the tribulation is going to set in upon this earth. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. The best thing to do for any sinner is to seek Christ now. Call unto him for mercy from your kitchen, from your automobile, from your bedroom, from your job. Wherever you are, you better be begging for mercy. And at the same time, be waiting for him to answer. Let's bow our heads.